my dad said, you know, Louise and Lucas are leaving careers in the arts, you know, where they had hopes to make little to no money um, to go into farming where they have a good chance at losing a lot of money. (laughs) Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at spontaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to make you all aware of a special promotion that we're running through Spontaneous. So for those of you who don't know, in addition to hosting the Behind the Stays podcast, I'm the co-founder of Spontaneous. Spontaneous is a weekly newsletter that brings folks the best last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Each week, my wife and I curate 150 of the best deals from Canada to the Caribbean, from California to Maine, and everywhere in between. And we are about to celebrate our one-year birthday. Woo! We're excited, and hope you are as well. In honor of this special occasion, we are doing an awesome promotion. We've partnered with some really cool brands like Cuts Clothing and Low and & Sons and some others to bring you special offerings during our birthday week. So if you have not already subscribed, please do so at spontaneous.com, and more details in the next couple of weeks will be coming out about this promotion. Essentially, the more people that you refer to Spontaneous, the more raffle tickets that you enter into the drawing. You can win things like new bags, new clothes, potentially even an Airbnb stay. So if you haven't done so already, head on over to spontaneous.com. That's S-P-O-N-S-T-A-Y-N-E-O-U-S.com and subscribe. In just a moment, you'll meet Louisa Conrad, co-founder of Big Picture Farm. Big Picture Farm is a Vermont farmstead goat dairy and confectionery whose award-winning caramels have won over a dozen national awards. And while these candies are undeniably decadent, there is more to Big Picture than just the goat dairy. After leaving their careers in academia, Louisa and her husband Lucas founded the farm in 2010. Their vision was to help their customers understand the rich context that surrounds the milk, the cheese, and the candies produced on the farm. They aspired to tell consumers the story behind the food in hopes that they might, well, understand the big picture of how, what, and who made the treats that they consumed. But Louisa and Lucas dreamed of taking things a step further. What if they could invite folks to experience the dairy? Could this be a vehicle through which they might expand their mission and help underwrite the cost of their animal welfare approved farm? Tune in to hear the story behind how Louisa and Lucas built three bespoke residences on the farm that they now rent out on Airbnb. Louisa, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Excited to be talking with you. We've got a lot to chat about today. And I can't wait to hear the story behind Big Picture Farm's collection of Airbnbs. But before we dive into that story, I want to hear a little bit about the very first stay at an Airbnb that you had. Where did you go and what was that experience like? Yeah, so actually, I don't know if this counts. It wasn't a true Airbnb. I think it was before Airbnb existed, but it was some sort of Airbnb predecessor. Um, 
my husband and I were traveling in Europe, in Europe and um, on a tight budget, and um, there was some kind of home share site. You know, this was 2008. Okay. Um, yeah, 2008. <clears throat> and we were in um, going to Paris, and we rented a little apartment in an attic on Ile Saint-Louis, and um, it was awesome because it was, like, you know, so much more affordable than a hotel, yeah. and we had a tiny little kitchen so we could go to the local market and buy food and um, come back and cook it. So for us, it was perfect, and it was sort of this, you know, eye-opening, like, this is cool. You can just, like, stay in people's houses. Um so yeah, um, maybe that ages me also, and <laughs> you know, existed before Airbnb. No, I, I was going to say, hey, that's an early adopter right there. You were doing Airbnb before Airbnb was even uh, around, or at least uh, widely popular. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, when a quick follow up question to that, were, were the guests, uh, excuse me, the hosts, were they living on the property as well? And did you all have any interaction with them? No, it was clearly, you know, it's, um, I don't know if you know how the sort of French buildings work, but they all have these like little attic apartments, you know, that yeah. used to be for like the servants. Yeah. Um, and so it was one of those, um, and I don't think they even lived in the building, but I'm not sure we never, um, you know, they came and gave us a key. Okay. Very I guess, transactional. I don't, I don't have, yeah, yeah I don't have <laughs> like visions of meeting them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, my wife and I have spent the last year really living on Airbnb and we've stayed in incredible places all over the country. And we have all actually been able to stay on several farms along the way and even a couple of dairy farms. But yours was the one and only goat dairy that we stayed at. So I'd love for you to give us the Cliff's Notes overview of really sort of like the fledgling stages of Big Picture Farm. Like what inspired you and your husband, Lucas, to found the farm? Um, Yes, we were teachers, artists, and writers. um, And it was 2008 again, and um, the economy had kind of tanked. um, And so, you know, the potential for careers as professors looked particularly grim. It looked like academia was going into a land of much more adjunct teaching um, and floating around. And um, we'd been living in Vermont and put down roots, sort of building a garden and really wanted to be able to continue to do that and not have to, you know, move to some random part of the country to take a, you know, teaching gig at university of who knows where. Sure. Um, and so we sort of were assessing where we were at. We had a semester off, basically, where we were waiting for the next school year to begin because we'd you know, been doing actually that traveling that I've been talking about before. We got in a grant to do a project in Iceland, so we're over in Europe for half a year. And wow. So we're looking to fill the rest of the year before we started our next academic year with our regular teaching jobs. And um, uh, you know, some of the kids I'd been teaching art to, their parents ran the, a different goat farm in Vermont and, you know, we kind of emailed them out of the blue just saying, Hey, like, how did you guys learn? Like, would you ever take on, you know, would you ever like talk to us about goats and cheese making? Mostly, um, I lived in France when I was little, so I was, um, sort of raised on goat cheese huh. and, um, I was obsessed more with the cheese part of things. Um, and they said, yeah, you know, come for, for nine months, live with us, you'll learn everything. Um, and so we leapt at it and just expecting it to be a great way to fill our calendar until the next year. And then just really sort of fell under the spell of goats and the magic of, um, everything that goats are. And, um, my husband in particular really decided that living with goats is something that was 
very important to him and huh. where what he wanted to do. Um, so we kind of scrapped all our plans and tried to figure out if we could make a go of it. We came to live at the farm that we currently own as um, farm workers. It was a sheep dairy, and they said we could move here and take care of their sheep and look after their herd and make their cheese in exchange for having three goats here and starting our business. And we started our business here, and as it grew, um, they were looking to retire and over sort of eight years and three different real estate transactions, as our business grew, we kept kind of going back to them and being like, okay, we could buy a little bit more of the farm now um, and kept doing that um, again and again as the caramel business grew. And um, the last piece was in 2017. We bought the farmhouse and the last remaining acreage to bring the 100 acres back together. And wow. um, the only way we were going to be able to afford to do that was to rent out um, there, the house that we bought for that. So that was our first Airbnb. It's a sprawling 10 bedroom, um, house. And we started with that and we really had great luck. So then we sort of started expanding from there. So thank you for all of that context. And I, I want to go back yeah. just a little bit and, and ask like, you know, what did your friends and family think about this? Like when you, when you guys were like, you know what, Hey, we're, we're going to take a very non-traditional career path. And instead of teaching, we're going to go figure out how to live with goats and how to, you know, make money and ultimately like raise a family doing that. Like what sort of reactions were you all met with? Well, there's a, I guess at this point, it's in this quote that my dad did at our wedding, um, which nicely sums it up, which was that, um, of, you know, the sort of thought behind what we were doing, which is, um, my dad said, you know, Louise and Lucas, are leaving careers in the arts, you know, where they had hopes to make little to no money, um, to go into farming where they have a good chance at losing a lot of money. <laughs> that's so, fantastic. That's sort of where they're, and that, that, that's, you know, it was a nice, there's also, I have to say in my family's defense, um, my brother is a tech entrepreneur and, um, he was always incredibly supportive and would sit down with us and sort of like make, Excel spreadsheets, um, and really encourage us to be like, okay, no, like, this is what you guys want to do. Like, this is cool. Let's try and figure it out, but let's try, you know, let's, let's make sure the numbers make sense hmm. on what you want to do and, and how you're going to get there. Hmm. So what, where did the name big picture farm come from? Yeah. So a lot of different space spots. I mean, in the, I'm on the phone. Okay. Um, in, for one, it's, um, you know, it's the big picture. So it is um, just sort of the obvious big picture looking beyond um, sort of the basics of, you know, an overall schema. But yeah. also I was, you know, making a living as an artist making pictures. Um, so there mm. was sort of the play on that. And, um, yeah, so there was sort of a lot of different things that kind of came together to be like, oh, that makes sense. Love it. No, I think it's a, it's a fantastic name. And, you know, having stayed, um, at the Colt barn, which is one of your all's properties and just, uh, in my own sort of reading around the internet of your, um, your website and different articles that have been written about the place. Um, one of the things that I stumbled upon is this idea that what you all are, one of the things you all are trying to do is really provide sort of your customers with 
this rich context surrounding the products that you know you all offer like where they came from why they're made the way that they're made and even like the goats who provided the milk used to you know make the candies or or make the cheese i think that's such a really interesting sort of like unique touch um and it, it really sort of seems like you know that inviting people to come and experience the farm for themselves is is very on brand with sort of like the greater mission that you all have set out to accomplish with Big Picture Farm. But I'd love to like hear the story behind why you and Lucas decided to start your very first Airbnb. So it sounded like it was a, a process, slow process for acquiring more land, acquiring more property. But you know, why did you choose to do this, and and how did you sort of think about bringing this very first space, which I believe was the farmhouse, to life? Yeah. So. Um... You know, for us, we basically, like, animals don't understand property lines. It wouldn't have been feasible for us to continue here without purchasing the property where the farmhouse sits. Um, so we felt like we had to do that, and therefore we just had to figure out a way for it to be financially feasible for us um, to afford it. And so that was – so there was never, like, an option of, like – you know, it wasn't, we didn't set out to have an Airbnb. It was more like we needed to own that land, and how are we going to afford it? And um, – for us, we thought we'd give Airbnb a go. Hmm. Um, and honestly didn't know, you know, at first we were thinking of renting it out by the room and, you know, a lot of different scenarios, but that seemed more complicated initially, basically just, you know, like, okay, how do you figure out then like locks on the rooms and bathrooms for each room and like all that kind of stuff where it's like, you know what, to start, we're just going to rent it out as a whole house and we'll see how it goes. And then it was just pretty successful right off the bat. So yeah. it didn't seem like there was a reason to change the plan there. Um, so again, it wasn't like we were setting out to have an Airbnb with the farmhouse. It was really just, um, you know, just trying to figure out a way to afford it. And, yeah. um, but from there it was like, Oh wow, this is, um, it's easier to rent a room than it is to milk a goat, set up a pasture for a goat, you know, have that boat goat give birth. Like farming is hard. <laughs> I cannot um, imagine. I cannot imagine. And just so it was watching, like, you know, this yeah. is a nice supplemental income, um, how else can we change things? And so we, we always had, when we bought the other side of the property, we had two houses. One was the winter house that former owners had built for themselves because the farmhouse is so big. And the other one is a barn that they converted for workers to live in. Um, specifically, we were the first ones to live there. Um, and it was, it, it looked different than when you stayed in there. It was very much like a barn. Um, you know, it didn't have finished floors or anything like that. Um, so we lived there for several years, and then we had um, a chorus of interns that lived in there for the next sort of six or seven. Wow. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't particularly fancy to begin with, but after having multiple people sharing space in it for a long time, I think um, maybe any landlord will tell you, but, like, when you have two people who don't necessarily – that aren't friends but that are living together live in some place, it tends to get kind of beat up pretty fast because no one really wants to take responsibility for yeah. cleaning. Um, so it kind of needed to be gutted no matter what. And, you know, honestly, we were like, okay, should we make two apartments so that we don't have to deal with the employee drama of two – you know, basically it was too big for one employee and we couldn't um, – we were like, okay, but we're going to spend all this money – to put two employees and we don't really gain anything. So again, it was sort of just like, you know, coming back to that basic idea of like treating our farm as a business yeah. and trying to figure out like what, what's the best way to like monetize this. And it seemed 
um, I'd always, having lived there for two years, had always wanted to be like, you know, like if you just painted this white and did a couple things, like I feel like you could, um, you know, it could really be a magical yeah. um, spot. And so it was really fun to fulfill that kind of dream and then, um, you know, go for it as an Airbnb instead of a, a, just a rental for our employees. Yeah, and as uh, as someone who stayed there, I can uh, attest to the fact that you you all did it. Uh, you you made it come to life. You made it you made it magical. Um, well, thank and you. so, uh, that, and we were, we're talking about sort of the cult barn, which is that sort of like second uh, Airbnb. And then you mm-hmm. all just recently, I believe it was like this past summer, you launched the solar cabin. Did you guys build that from the ground up, or how did that one work? Yes, yeah, so we built that from the ground up. Um, basically, this time last fall, and it was finished sort of by January. Um, and yeah, so a lot of our Airbnbs start with basically the idea of sort of like teetering on, um, employee housing and, um, needing more housing for people who work for us. Yeah. And then we kind of end up making them and then we're like, you know, I mean, it's just like the reality of Airbnb and, you know, there's definitely housing shortages and a housing crisis. And, um, we find we have to provide housing for all of our employees, um, which, you know, for any of one that we hire from, not from here. Um, and so we sort of start with that and then we're like, actually let's make this an, an Airbnb and we'll figure out a different house for an employee. Um, so. And why do you think that is? Yeah, is, that, it, is it because once you get into the project, you're like, Ooh, what if we did this and that? And you end up sort of investing more into the space and, and therefore you got to, you know, make it a business. Uh, yeah. And then you the need business? to pay back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's what happened with that one, and um, it's been amazing. You know, we got a loan to pay for it, and, um, you know, it's, it's paying off its loan. Um yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a beautiful. I mean, again, we didn't, we were in the cold barn and not the solar cabin, but just the entire area is is so so beautiful, so so peaceful, and we were actually in the cold barn um, over Labor Day, and you know, the my wife and I were talking about sort of like uh, the experience and what sort of adjective, uh, you know, we, we felt sort of accurately described it, how we felt while we were there. And, and really we just kept, we kept coming back to the word like joyous. Like it just, it, oh, there, there was just you. this joyful spirit about the place. Um, I love that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the barn had, you know, everything, uh, that we needed. It was, it was very elegant in its simplicity and, you know, from our perspective, one of the most like beautiful and like mesmerizing sections of the home is actually the loft where both of the the bedrooms are. And I'm curious, you know, how did you guys decide to design it in this sort of very simple, very white, um, very sort of like a beautiful, but like rustic way? Like what decisions, uh, talk to us a little bit about the the process and, and really, I guess the the decision to go sort of like all white, uh, in, in the attic space. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like I've thought about this a bunch and, um, cause I've been talking to other people about design stuff. And one of the things that's hard, you know, my husband and I are not designers, um, but we really enjoy greatly, um, designing things. Um, and it's always just sort of like the choices we make seem really obvious to us. Um, <laughs> like that that's the only thing you do. So yeah. like, I don't, it wasn't, it was just like, duh, you just paint this white. I mean, I also, I mean, I think the cold barn in particular, having lived in there for two years, I had, a, I had had a lot of time staring at the walls to think about it. Um, and 
And I just sort of used to always be like, what if, you know, there was not a big wall there, but a big window there? Mm. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? So, like, there was a lot more walls in the Colt Barn when we lived there. And, um, you know, like the big window you mentioned enjoying um, was also a wall. Um, So we try and work, you know, basically with, like, what are the cheapest changes we can make that have the most dramatic effect? Um, you know, that sort of are the easiest on our budget, but alter the space the most for someone else to enjoy. And, you know, something like throwing a huge window in there is like a no brainer. Um, especially, you know, like I love the way it frames the apple tree outside, which is one of my favorite trees to look at in all seasons. Um, and you know, the white, it's just like, it was always so dark in the cold barn, but it, Mm. it felt like it had the potential to really have that like calmness that I think it does once you sort of take away a lot of the um, varying types of wood that existed from a hodgepodge barn. Um, so, um, you know, and we kept some portions not white, but ultimately just like, you know, it's not a huge space. So yeah. the white helps open it up and brighten it and make it feel a little bit um, sort of simplified. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, incredibly, incredibly airy. And I love, I love that framework you talked about too, about thinking about, okay, what is like the cheapest, the scrappiest, like most, most affordable, uh, improvement you can make to a space that will have the most significant of impact. And I think that that's, that's not something that, you know, oftentimes folks will decide to invest heavily in like a really, really, really nice sofa. And while that's, you know, nice that that's not as noticeable as sort of like a window wall. Right. And as, as you so yeah. like neatly like pointed out, and I think that that's like just a good reminder, helpful, um, for anyone sort of in the, uh, STR space that's thinking about sort of renovations and design is like, what can I do you know, that's not going to break the bank, but that will have a noticeable difference in sort of the guest experience to the point where like people will actually talk about this in the review. Like what are the things that I can like add so that, you know, someone will comment on it later. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, like starting with a farmhouse that became like abundantly clear because we literally had 10 bedrooms and a very small budget. And so we went through each room and made a list of like, what are the things that have to be in here before we rent this. Mm. <laughs> and that was the only thing we put in there because that was, you know, we just, you know, it's a huge house to furnish on a dime. So, um, that's been something that I think has also been successful because I also think when you come to a space, you basically only really want what has to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, no. I think there's obviously different aesthetics that are beautiful and wonderful where there's, you know, lots of ephemera, but, um, I personally, when I'm going to a space want is just to clear my mind, not have to see all the clutter that exists in my own life. Um, and I mean, the other thing I think that it's important for people thinking about Airbnb and I've talked with other people who are starting about this is just, um, yeah, like where can you spend money that, um, like the people appreciate the most. So for example, for us, like we definitely try not to do it on couches because people just spill their wine on the couch Yeah, yeah. and, um, that's going to happen. So you're sort of trying, you need stuff that can be like dry cleaned all the time or, or, um, you know, like for us, we spend, you know, for us, it's important to have like really nice sheets because Mm. that's like, if I don't have nice sheets and pillows, when I go to an Airbnb, I get creeped out. Um, so just having all white so people know it's clean, it means we lose money because people stain them and then we have to replace them more quickly than if it was a dark color, but it's just kind of what I 
like. Yeah, um, no. And I think like the, the challenge, right, for like a lot of folks talk about sort of like, you know, taking a minimalist approach to sort of design in a space. And in, in my experience, like there there's a difference between like walking into a space that's like minimalist and walking into a space that's like sparse, right? Like that just like doesn't have what you need. And you guys have, I, I feel like just like struck this incredible balance of not, nothing's overcrowded. There's everything that you need and then some, but like you don't feel like you're, you open a drawer and it's just like filled with stuff. Like you, you, you have everything that you need to cook every kind of meal that you would want to cook, but like nothing more than that. And I think nailing that takes like that, that is art. And that's like a hard thing to do that not everyone is able to do well. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, one of the things that my wife was really drawn to in the space were all of the paintings. Um, and we were curious, like, who who painted these? And is it the same artists who designed big picture farms like caramel packaging? Or is there any relation there? Yeah. So um, the paintings, all the oil paintings are my father. And oh, then wow. I do all the packaging. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, it's all so in the family. Yeah, a generational skip there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I love that. That's That's remarkable. Um, and then in terms of the packaging, like, how did you come up with the logo? Like, did, did that take a while? Like, was there multiple iterations? Was it, was it always going to be sort of this like character, like this like outline of, of, of like one of your all's favorite goats or how did you come to that decision? So I've always done, um, as part of my art practice, a lot of blind contour drawings, um, and I happened to have a show at a gallery in Boston and I drew a hundred goats, um, and so with like blind contours of a hundred goats and, um, that was just our favorite one. Wow. So it like, it just kind of stuck out, I think as like, Oh, that is goat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was kind of a, I mean, I think it's a great way, I guess, to make a logo is draw something a billion times and then pick the best one. Pick the best one. Um, yeah. but it, it wasn't, it wasn't originally made or with any kind of logo um we call it our low goat um logo. but um yeah it wasn't when it was originally created it was created for an art show and then it just kind of came about that it and you know it's like oh that's perfect for to be the logo so how do you i'm just curious how do you how do you and lucas like manage all of this right you've got your your airbnb business going on you've got the farm you've got like your uh caramel uh confectionery you've got your you know uh your writing right you guys have beautiful like poems and like literature that i've stumbled upon as i was googling you like how, how do you guys stay focused like what what are you how are you able to sort of like you know stay sane amidst like sort of all of these projects yeah, you just don't sleep. It's easy. <laughs> and you guys have a couple of kids, right, too? Yeah, we have two little muffins. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the first five years of our business were definitely certifiable, um, and we definitely did not have kids. Um, and I don't think it would have been possible to have had that kind of a work-life balance. Um, at this point, we have an incredible team. So there's um, eight people working full-time, and... Um, they're really incredible and they work really hard and care about the business. And, um, you know, that allows us to basically have enough to support staff that we're not on the schedule to be doing anything because we're just doing like crisis management and the other things, um, sort of pretty full time. Um, you know, we have like our diff, like, you know, Luke is more in charge of the goats. I'm more in charge of production. Um, he does all the accounting. Um, I do the marketing and sales, um, 
We actually, even though I do all the illustrating, he does all the graphic design work to put it together. So oh, wow. we're, that's pretty teamed up in terms of like the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think you have to want to just, I think any small business, never mind a small business, it's also a small farm. You kind of have to be borderline crazy um, and love what you do and think that running your own thing is worth the, the, the pain in the butt of running your own thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And on that note, too, uh, I read a couple of different places that you all are pretty committed to uh, keeping the goat dairy uh, around 40 to 50-ish goats. Is is that accurate? And, and if so, why is that? Yeah, um, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, we don't want more goats than that. Um, we want to – we have, like, a very – intimate relationship with all of our goats. Our employees have intimate relationships with all of the goats. Um, they're characters in the story. And, um, you, if you grow too big, then, you know, you're just, you're more like having numbers than characters, I think. Um, so there's an emotional reason behind that. Um, there's also a physical reason behind that. Um, we pasture our animals, um, you know, the six months of the year that there's grass in Vermont. And, um, that's a good amount of goats for the amount of land that we have, Yeah, which is they graze on a hundred acres. And then, um, it's also, we have a huge barn and that's basically, you know, at this time of year that it's filled to the brim literally with hay. And that's what the, what it holds hay wise. Um, you know, for us, we make a little bit of cheese in the summer. Um, while um, with the goats are producing more milk and then we sort of have the amount of goats that we need to do our holiday, our holiday sales with. Um, one of the things that we're running into is we have so many retired goats at this point. So mm. it's almost like we need a separate barn and spot for all of the retired goats because as more of them become um, not as much producers, it kind of changes the equation. But that's why we sell the tea towels and the swag because we're trying to basically – um, you know, they're no longer making milk, but they're sort of just goat supermodels that sell their images on bags and t-shirts and things like that. I love that. It's such a, it's such a creative way to think about sort of like, how do you continue to provide care, um, for, for the goats and offset that cost in a unique way? It's, it's very innovative. It's very entrepreneurial and thinking, which is, which is wonderful. Um, thank you couple of final questions for you. One is just around, you know, the decision we've touched on it a little bit already, but like the decision for the window. So for our, for our listeners, you know, there are so many beautiful and special sort of aspects to, to the Colt barn. But the thing that stood out to me the most was really this like massive window that's right off the count, right off the kitchen in sort of like this, this sitting nook, this sitting room. And there's a, a beautiful like wood burning stove. Um, and then what, where you would expect almost like a TV to be instead, it's just this like massive window. And I sat there, I journaled, like I read, it was like a very, it, like, it felt like you were like, you know, sitting outside. So how did you guys decide to come to that decision and, and sort of like, what was, what was the thinking behind it? Yeah. So, um, 
That was just a mudroom when we lived there. Um, it had like three or four walls from like where sort of a smaller stall had been. Um, and so we used to have like the kitchen where the kitchen was, but it was sort of divided by a wall and then a few more walls in that space. And then you'd kind of go down this like long hallway to where the living room is and still is. Um, but you, we would never ever go to the living room because you always just sit in the kitchen. Um, so I always really wanted a loungy spot, um, next to the kitchen. Um, and I think in Vermont, you always want to sit by a fireplace. Mm. Um, you know, we opted for gas just for like Airbnb tenant reasons, because, um, no one can actually figure out how to use a wood stove properly. <laughs> um, despite how many, um, what good Brooklyn lumberjacks they might be. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we just wanted a loungy area, and I just, yeah, I'd always, you know, sort of, as I was saying earlier, I'd spent a lot of time staring at the walls in the coal barn wanting to knock them out, so um, I got my wish there. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you did, because it, it was a very unexpected, but just uh, a surprisingly, like, memorable place, uh, and we, likewise, uh, spent, like, zero time in, in the main living room and just and just sat there. Um, yeah. and you know, spent less time watching TV, which was great too. Uh, and okay. so that was, yeah, definitely a highlight. So just last question here. Um, you know, our experience of the cult barn was that, you know, this is this area, this, this, uh, what you all are building is so much more than just a, a nice place to stay a nice, uh, while the beds are incredibly comfortable and while, you know, the, the actual space is super conducive to, being able to read, to relax, to cook, etc. It's really sort of like the overall experience when you get outside and you see the goats, you interact with the chickens, you know, you see the cats walking around. That's really what sort of like makes this place from our perspective, especially memorable. And I, I'm curious, just, you know, we got to participate in a goat hangout, which was great. We got to uh, oh, nice. work and, and help with, uh, help Maddie sort of uh, bring the goat, uh, the goats to pasture, which was quite uh, an experience. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, while we had just a, a wonderful time, you know, what is, what is it that you hope your guests walk away with after their stay? And how do you design the experience so that they do? Um, well, I think you got everything out of it. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we want people to come to the farm. I want people to have to hear the roosters in the morning. You know, I don't mind the a wafting smell from the barnyard of whatever it is you get. Um, you know, just the, the tasting, tasting the air, the fresh air, seeing kind of just chickens roam around, you know, depending on the season, maybe there's a kitten, you know, hiding in the hay, who knows. Um, just kind of having a different taste of farm life and being able to go in, you know, like the goat hangouts we really like, um, because we like people to be able to just like cuddle with a goat and kind of have that aha moment of like, Oh, goats are really cool. They're different. They're not just, you know, I think uh, most people's experiences on farms are there's these more institutional farms that allow you a certain amount of access, but not, um, as sort of touch, touchable or personable, um, and on just a different scale. And so again, it comes to sort of like, we like the scale that we are, you know, we don't want to have a hundred goats. Um, we want it to feel more intimate and, um, what that feels like, like it's nice to sort of see an overgrown garden and wonder about why they haven't picked any of their cucumbers or, you know, I, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, it's just like, we want to, there's a, there's something um, 
you know, with our caramels, we wanted to sort of send out the story of the goats and animal welfare and um, the stories of goats out into the world. But we really, really enjoy bringing people to the farm to really live and breathe it for a little bit and have a sense of um, what it's like when people always ask me if I miss city life. Um, I grew up in New York City. Um, you know, it's so far back in my memory at this point, but um, sure, there's no lattes, there's no town, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of amenities. There's no reason to have a cute pocketbook or a nice pair of heels, but, um, you know, you can just like walk up our road, which we try and do every day with our girls. And I just love watching, you know, just looking at where we live. It's just so beautiful. And, um, breathing that hill, hillside air. And so I like, um, other people, you know, immensely enjoy watching and having other people been able to come and do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Louisa, I just want to thank you and Lucas and, uh, your family and your, your entire team for working so hard to craft a space and an environment and experience that is that is truly unique um and i know that this stuff is way harder than any of us are able to even you know imagine um and so i just want to thank you and and your team for for all that you have done and continue to do and for our listeners who are interested in learning more about big picture farm or might want to order some caramels what's the best way for them to hear more about your story or get in touch with you all uh, check out bigpicturefarm.com. Bigpicturefarm.com. Great. And we will link that below as well. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Louisa. I really, really appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. Take care. Yeah. Have a great day. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're gonna roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.